Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Uh, well, I'd say I sell residential real estate and my uh, business is all, or mostly, referral and past client base. And I'd love to become your realtor for, for life. I don't know that I have an elevator pitch. Hmm. Uh, you'll see the theme across this is I'm so relationship based that that I'm not a pitcher. Hmm. No, it, make, it makes sense. I mean, it's sometimes it can be be tough to kind of get what you're trying to come across um, in the short window of time. And so mm -hmm. I always love kind of hearing how people people do it. And sometimes it's putting people on the spot. Some people have it set up and uh, it, it varies to, to person to person. I mean. Have you, before you got into real estate, or let's, let's rewind even to a, a younger Melinda. I mean, who was a younger Melinda? Did she always have a game plan toward getting to real estate? Never. Okay. Never. There was no real estate game plan. My getting into real estate was owning it. Okay. At a young age? I mean, like in, the, in your teens? I mean, was that the kind of idea? Or how far back thinking about getting in, I mean, I guess owning real estate? So my 20s, my early 20s, uh, okay. I am the child. So th this is a really fun time as interest rates start to go up. And, and that's all we talk about in the business right now. Everybody wants to know. I am uh, came of age in the Jimmy Carter, uh, Ronald Reagan, early Ronald Reagan years. In fact, I interviewed Rosalind Carter when I was 15 years old, when he was running the second time. But when I graduated high school or when I was probably a junior, I sat down at the kitchen table with my dad. And I learned what the net present value of money was because inflation was somewhere around 17%, maybe 20%. Uh, and I learned then that if I wanted to go to the five-year school in Boston, I was going to have to live at home because the, the net present value of money was escalating so rapidly, we couldn't afford that fifth year in college. So uh, what happened, I graduated college and I, I didn't live at home. That was more important to me than school where my priorities were. And I lived in the Boston area and wanted a downtown loft. That was my dream. I, I was that yuppie girl who uh, wanted to carry the briefcase, wear the heels, do the city life, the big power uh, corporate thing. And I wanted that, that converted loft. Well, a year out on my own, a year and a half out on my own, I realized that wasn't going to happen real fast. Kind of sounds a little bit like today, right? With rents and the cost of everything, it seemed impossible. I moved back to my parents' place to save money for that loft. Um, that lasted probably six or seven months. And I met my uh, now ex-husband who already owned real estate. And I ended up in a house in the suburbs. And that, that was my first real estate. So I kind of got into it sideways. So when you moved back with your parents, were you in currently working in the corporate world? What were you doing at the time? I was. I was in, um, when I moved with them, I think I was still at my first post-college job. So I'm very circuitous to real estate. I was uh, a chemist, a bench chemist out of, out of college. And I was working on my MBA. So like most entrepreneurs, I had a day job and I had a night job. I was taking two or three classes at night. Um, I was still paying for them on my own. And... Probably, probably moved back with them in September, and by March or April, I got my next job, and that was in a Fortune 100 firm. At, excuse me, in the chemical industry, and uh, I got a huge raise, probably a 50 percent or 100 percent increase. They paid for my MBA, and my career in marketing and sales took off from there. So, what were your intentions with with the MBA in the chemist world? I mean, what were what was the goal 
uh, for a future, uh, Melinda? I was going to be a pharmacist. Um, that's, that's what I thought I was going to be when I went off to college. And, uh, what I had always dreamed of being was an attorney and my mother worked for an attorney and I got discouraged from doing that. So I didn't have those kind of role models. I knew I was going to college. I knew I was going to work. The only options in my upbringing were college and work. Those, those were the only options or military, but that wasn't really a great option for women in the early eighties. So there was no other other option. There was no entrepreneurial uh, background in my family. My dad worked for the same company from probably his late 20s until the day he died or until the day he retired. Uh, my mother was uh, an administrative assistant, a legal assistant, that kind of thing. So I didn't have that model or example or thought about doing anything but corporate work. So I went off um, and I realized when I graduated college, I had worked harder than most of my colleagues and peers in college because chemistry is really hard. You go to labs all afternoon, four days a week, you study, you go to, go to class. And I was smart, but I wasn't so smart I could get away without studying. So I learned when I graduated that I worked that hard and I didn't make as much money as any of them when I got out. I made less than $18,000 a year when I graduated college as a chemist in 1985. And that was not the normal salaries that I had friends that graduated and were making close to six figures. So I knew I needed to make money and I knew that I didn't want to go to grad school for chemistry because you would need a PhD. And that was just too hard. Um, so the, the MBA was the plan to get into marketing. And, and OK, so you're not making enough money. You look at it. OK, I, gotta, I need more schooling to actually make more money. Now you move back in with your parents. Six, seven months go by and get married. How does marriage life or how did the marriage life uh, change basically the goals, the mindset towards what you wanted to accomplish? Oh, did Lord. It? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It changed. Well, it didn't change it at first. And I didn't get married at first. Um, I we lived together at first okay. and we got married, I think, 1990. So, you know, this four years later, maybe. Okay. Uh, but what changed is I now actually at first it was great because I now had a partner in crime. We both had goals to do well, to have houses, to travel, you know, um, retirement, all of that. You know, he was an engineer and he was also had his MBA. And so he was a planner. So we were good, that power couple kind of thing. And uh, he was really supportive of what I wanted to do for my career. And in 89, um, in, in the corporate marketing world, in, in the Fortune 100 marketing world, you had to do what they call carry the bag. And that meant you to be taken seriously in marketing. You had to have had some sales experience because we were doing sales training programs, product launches, all of that. And the salespeople wouldn't take you seriously had you not carried the bet. So I had an opportunity in 1989 to take the uh, Western Territory, California, Utah, Arizona. I wanted Hawaii, but my boss took it for himself. So... Um, I had that opportunity to do that. So we picked up and did one of those big corporate relocations out to Southern California, Orange County, in fact. And my um, husband, or he wasn't my husband yet, but my husband at the time uh, left his job. He made more money than I did and came out. His, uh, his mom was so ashamed. She called him a gigolo and told him to get a job because for six months he took tennis lessons and went boogie boarding at Newport Beach. And my company paid everything they paid every dime of our living expenses at the time and i was off working she was appalled now how did that play into it i mean and and i know you can't read his mind but he's basically the money maker 
you guys are taking a new adventure. He's given up his job. I mean, was it, was there any sort of fear in either of your minds or was it like, this is a new adventure. We're going to see how this goes. I think it's really important. So we were both born and raised in New England. He's a child of immigrants. I'm a child of Midwesterners with really strong core values. So neither of us ever feared. It's not that we never feared failure, but we always knew what the saying was, we'll flip burgers at McDonald's if we have to. So we were both confident that we could do whatever it took, that we wouldn't fail and and end up, you know, back in our parents' basements or something like that. So we knew that we had the work ethic. So we had that faith to take the jump. Were there times I'm sure he was afraid and ashamed? Yeah, especially on the phone with his mother. I do remember there was a job um, with a company called Train Track or something like that uh, that he almost took. And it was way out of his field and way on under him because it was a time that the economy was shifting and things were interesting and he still wasn't making money. It took him six months to get a good job. Now, you're you're getting acclimated to Southern California. I mean, at this time, I, I know you said your your ex-husband, um, he owned some properties. Were you now investing in some properties, too, or, or where were you in the process of that? So part of a corporate relo, um, we, so I, I was always a good negotiator. So even though we weren't married, they couldn't buy out his house the way corporate relo programs work. They couldn't buy out the house that he had in Massachusetts. We were chasing a real estate market down. We priced it too high and it sat and sat and sat, but they would help us on the real estate end in Southern California. So we eventually chased that market down enough that um, we got that house sold and he didn't have a lot of equity in it, but another, another story. He didn't have a lot, but he had enough for us to make whatever. I think at the time we did have to do a 20% down payment and it was a booming time in orange county we got on our list for new construction much like it was in 2020 that you we they were doing lotteries they were doing camp outs for new construction they would re release 50 or 100 homes at one time and so we got in that lottery for new construction we got into escrow on that by the time we closed the real estate market had started to collapse so we closed probably early 1990 i think um, but we we weren't paying enough attention. We were so excited. We were about to get married. We got married in 1990 and we were in this new home on the top of a hill in new construction, beautiful, doing everything we wanted with a view down to the coast on, on clear days. So we were just excited about that. And that was our, our first like first next thing that, that we did for real estate. And that was my first introduction into buying uh, real estate. And then what what happens next? So you're getting more acclimated. You have this this new property, married. Sounds like everything's going on the right track. So what happens next? I hate my job. <laughs> okay. It's my first sales job, and I am uh, I don't want to use the word victim, but I'm in an environment of sexual harassment, a glass ceiling, and a very hostile work environment. I am the first female sales rep west of the Mississippi in this industry and we bought another division that I'm now also selling asphalt additives, uh, window stabilizers. I've always was in the pulp and paper industry. Um, I'm in the electronics waste cleanup industry. My clients, you know, are, include Hewlett Packard and people like that. My past clients had been Shell and Exxon. So it's a very male dominated industry. Um, very, very interesting times and, and not the avenues that we had, you just had to suck it up and take it, put a smile on your face and just still try to get the sale. 
very much about, you know, how, how much you took them to golf and how much you uh, took them fishing. And I had come from a tech background and I was a tech, I was in marketing where when I, the salespeople brought me in, I was treated with amazing respect. It didn't matter that I was a woman because I was the intellectual expert training the clients. Well, now all of a sudden I'm the salesperson and I don't have that level of respect. So it was awful. It was awful. I carried the bag for my two years and I quit. And um, I quit about a month after I miscarried our first child, which was tragic. I was with my boss uh, two hours in North in LA and hadn't even told him yet. And I need, now need to call, tell him to stop. I'm, you know, good news, bad news kind of thing. You might have to take me to the hospital. No cell phones then, you guys. So we had to stop at a pay phone. And, um, then it, and so I had just quit that job knowing that I could get a new one, but I left and then his company got bought and they shut down the Irvine headquarters and they said, there's three people we're moving to Chicago. You're one of them. Now Chicago, come on. I don't want to go from orange County, California, living that dream, right. To Chicago. Plus now we're $75,000 underwater from all the money we put into that brand new house. So at that time, the, the miscarriage and it, I know you said you quit the job. Was it you quit the job based off of, I guess, the kicker was that they were going to push you to Chicago, right? No, he was getting pushed to Chicago. So now it's okay. his reload and I don't have a new job yet. OK, so you don't you don't have a, a new job. The 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 miscarriage, uh, you're underwater. I mean, that has to be a lot on your shoulders. Was your, at least your husband at the time, was he doing well in his business, in his career or what was going on there? He, he was doing great. He was, he was doing really well, but now his job was at risk. And for us, we've got that big mortgage. So basically it was, you're moving to Chicago or we're letting you go. Like we've just let a hundred other people go. Yeah. Um, so they made us an offer we couldn't refuse and it ended up being something fabulous for us long-term. Uh, even if we didn't, we went to Chicago. Okay. And, and so picking up again, moving to Chicago. Now, what happens there? Well, part of the deal, and, and this was where it really was, it, it was um, one of the best breaks I ever had. So they bought out the 75000 of the house that they basically bought our house from us for what we had into it. So we got bought out of our first real estate loss because, you know, they say, oh, real estate's great as long as you never have to sell, right? Well, we had to sell. And we were now, Orange County had just declared bankruptcy, I believe, during that time. Um, there were not a lot of jobs. It was it was not great prospects. And where, where we were, his field had not yet taken off in Southern California. So he had now gotten into medical devices and he was a leader in that. But the job prospects were much better in other areas, other tech areas than, than um, Orange County. And my job prospects in the chemical industry were not, there's nothing. It was all Texas and New Jersey, that, that kind of area. Uh, so, or, and, or maybe even a little in the Bay Area. Well, they offered me the opportunity as an insider. This is even a bigger Fortune 100 company, a better Fortune 100 company, offered me that opportunity as an insider to interview for jobs that would usually only be inside. I got plenty of job offers. I had two lined up, fabulous opportunities for me to advance now in marketing. I've carried the bag. Now I could advance. Um, and I wanted to be in that C-suite for whatever marketing 
area that I was in. That's that's where I wanted to be. Not the seat, um, you know, uh, CEO of a Fortune 100 company, but of whatever that division, you know, be it the VP or the director or whatever. So I got a great job. And in February of, I don't even remember what year it was, 90 or 91, I jetted off to my first week of work at a sales conference in Orlando and then to Chicago to the new beautiful home we bought in Chicago. Uh, and he got to live in a hotel in Newport beach for six months. And I got to work. I still hadn't finished my MBA. I had two, two classes I had to finish. And so I went to Chicago, new job, finished my MBA, suck it up, work really hard. Um, and it was a great job, great opportunity for me, great people that I was surrounded with. And then what goes on next? I finished the MBA two weeks before my finals. I don't feel good. I'm like, oh, man, I'm so old. I think I'm 28. Um, maybe I, I think I'm about 28. Um, and oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm so glad that I'm done with this MBA. I can't do this anymore. Well, guess what? I'm pregnant. That's why I'm exhausted. So I have a baby. I've got this great career going on. I travel, oh, I don't know, 70% of the time. And I wake up and she's 11 months old. I have a nanny. She comes and goes. I have that, that dream. I've got a beautiful 4,000 square foot home in, a, in one of the nicest suburbs of North Chicago. Great job. Great husband. His career's going great. He's made some shifts by this time and doing, doing fabulous. And uh, I have a healthy baby. So it's, it's all good. Um, and I'm sitting in a hotel room, I think in Florida. And he's in a hotel room in Texas and the nanny's at home with the baby and my company starts going in a different direction. So this is probably early 93 and it becomes apparent to me that accountants are going to now run the marketing department. Like I can't even take a meeting unless I can put an ROI on it, like real hard numbers. And I'm like, I, and I, and I get, I'm pretty good at predicting. I'm thinking they're going to sell our division and they're going to sell it to one of three companies and I don't want to go any of those things. So um, I quit again. And this time I do some consulting. Uh, at, at this point, I've been promoted. I got promoted while I was pregnant. That was their way to retain me, give me a private, nice office and, and give me a better job. And uh, I, I leave again, but I get to consult for them for probably six months. So I still get to keep my feet in the door. Um, then I have another baby and I'm a stay at home mom and I'm not consulting. I'm not working. How does that, how does that make you feel? It's interesting. I loved being a mom. I didn't like being a housewife and my marital dynamics began to shift within a couple of years of a housewife, um, son of immigrants. I used to be this power woman and now, and now I'm a housewife and, and being a mom is great, but I take that type A personality. You've seen them. I know you don't have kids yet, Benny, but, but you've seen them. You guys have all heard about the helicopter moms or, you know, those moms that paved the way for their kids, the head of the PTA, the parent volunteer. Um, I lean in just like that. My kids, every book I've ever read, you know, they've got every opportunity, the right mobile over the crib, the right music in, in utero, all of that. So I just took it to and applied it to parenting and just became that. Now, the frustration, man, where did that take you? I mean, where did that take you next? I mean, where did that, that push oh, push? You asked me before or we started if anything was off limits. I didn't see you getting here. I didn't I didn't see how you'd possibly get here. What happened next? 
I'm obese at this point, morbidly obese, and I am depressed. And I am now suffering from clinical depression with no outlet, no family, not many friends. Okay. They say Chicago's great. It's great if you're from there. Um, I never in almost six years was invited to anybody's home for dinner, except other people from away, New Yorkers, Bostonians, people from my work, people from his work, but no one local. They were all really nice out in the yard, but no one, I'd never been, been invited to for dinner. So five and a half years in Chicago, kids two and four, uh, horribly depressed. I, I just, it was tough. What, I mean, what pushed you to keep pushing forward? I mean, I mean, you're in, it seems like you're in a very bad space at that time. I mean, health wise, mentally, I mean, so what pushed you to keep going forward and keep doing what you had to do? What are the other options? It's, it's my kids, my children. Yeah. I have two daughters. Um, it's them. You, you get up and you go every day. And I tried different things, you know, like little side gigs or businesses or, or things like that. I tried other things. Um, and the marriage wasn't horrible yet. And yet and we were still like, felt like we were moving in the same direction, but I was horrible. I can't say it was necessarily the marriage then. I was horrible, but the kids. Then how long from, from that moment to the moment where you had to get divorced and run into real estate? I got into real estate before I got divorced, which is part of the story. Um, it was, so when we, we moved ourselves back to Southern California when they were two and four, um, I don't know what year that is, 97 maybe. Hmm. And we got up and went and he, we basically, he did a remote working uh, like they've been doing recently without telling anyone. He was now in a position that he just, he was gone a lot. So he said, what difference does it make if I'm in Chicago or I'm back in Southern California? We were making we were making a decision then. Do we get away from everyone and go open a bed and breakfast in the country in New England? Or do we go back to Southern California where there's sunshine and we were happier? We, we, we were happy here. Um, so we came back here and we moved ourselves. And it was like we moved in the middle of the night. And uh, six months later, he told his boss, oh, by the way, I'm in Southern California now. Yeah, that it was like, because it, it didn't matter. He was gone anyway. Um, and so we moved to San Clemente where we started to buy real estate. 97, the market had, Orange County was no longer in bankruptcy and it was just starting to tick up. So we were a California couple. Usually when you leave here, Benny, you know this, you can't come back, mm. right? Because you don't get the appreciation in real estate like you get here. Um, we were fortunate we were able to get in and, uh, the tax laws had just changed. So capital gains used to force you to buy a bigger house, a more expensive house. So we were able to shift our money. Then it was a really big decision. We moved to a less expensive home with no view or acreage, but it was in a family neighborhood where my kids could walk to school until they were out of middle school. And we, well, there were other kids running around. I'm a stay at home mom now. So I want other kids, other stay-at-home moms. I don't want the, the really ultra-wealthy neighborhood where the garage door comes down when people come home from work and they're never outside. So we moved to that classic Southern California track home for the kids and for that part of the lifestyle. Uh, and we probably decreased our house price that we were living in by about 200000 And we now had extra cash to start investing. 
and we bought our first rental property a couple miles away from our, our where we lived. Buying a property um, as a individual is going to buy the property compared to buying a property that you're going to buy it as an investment. What were things that you picked up and learned? Um, it's always location. No matter, no matter where you are. So we did buy, we weren't buying it as pure investors. And that's, that's something that is a theme in every property we bought after that. We bought in a place where we would also want to retire. So our plan started to be something that we would eventually, to retire, we would eventually liquidate the real estate, go, go live in it for two years, liquidate it and not have to pay capital gains. Because that was a big issue for us was taxes from his corporate income. We had to always be thinking about taxes. So that was the plan is that we would just start cycling through houses. We'd leave the San Clemente house when the kids were out of school. We'd go live in this Capistrano beach house. Um, that might become our uh, winter home, you know, or we might just get out of that. But we started acquiring real estate at that point. Now you're acquiring real estate is your health getting better? Is your mindset getting better? I mean, what's a relationship getting better? Mm. My mindset's probably getting a little better because now I have something to do. Mm. I need to, we have self-managed everything. So now I'm placing the tenants, collecting the rent, handling the property management. It's only one property at that point. Uh, and so I'm still basically focused on raising the kids at that point. In 2005, we started acquiring more. No, that's not true. In 99, we bought another one in Maine. We bought a property on the water. Um, we were sailors. We were very much into the water, boaters, that kind of thing. So we And we're from New England. So we brought uh, something on five and a half acres in Maine. So that was my first short-term vacation rental from 3,000 miles away that I also self-managed. And... Um, Again, we bought that based on something we wanted to live in and we used the numbers. Unlike what most people are doing with Airbnbs now, those numbers were just to help support the mortgage. They weren't to make a profit. So 2005, you buy some more properties. So you're, you mean, even though you're dealing with this, I mean, stress, again, the health, the mental, all that kind of stuff, it sounds like, I mean, you two were together for a very long time and kind of pushing through. I mean, when was the moment that I need to make a change? What happened? We made it through the great recession without losing any of our properties. I, at that point was managing 30 doors of other people's vacation rentals. So I had been so successful in managing ours that other people started to ask me. That's where the real estate license came in. Mm. So pre, so I get my broker's license in 06. I'm, I've got a successful vacation rental management business and everyone's making money at it except me. So all the people that I'm doing, and this is my own thing. I'm doing a lot of virtual help, things like that. Uh, I managed through the, the, uh, the great recession. Not one of my clients loses their property because I understand business. That's where the education came in. So I understand business, how to make that work. Um, and then I burnt out. I burnt out bad and hard and I'm miserable. And it's about that time, about 2011, 2013, that I remember walking into a book club with my friends and saying, that's it. I'm on the seven year plan. 
I'm out of here in seven years when my youngest is 18. And yet, I, why would I stay another seven years? I don't know. I stay nine. Seven years in, in, in out of where? My marriage. Wow. So you're giving yourself seven years to get out of a relationship that you didn't want to be a part of. I wanted to be a part of it, Vinny. I didn't want to be a part of it the way it was. So I am extremely loyal and old fashioned and I didn't really want to get a divorce. I wanted to fix the marriage right until the end. We were married 25 years. Yeah. We were together 29. And so I left him two weeks after our 25th wedding anniversary. And even then I was still trying to make it work and it was broken. Um, but by that time, so 2013, He's now a medical device innovator and has founded a startup company that's in San Diego. 20, 2009, we moved to San Diego. Um, and we put every ounce of equity in every home we own on the line for this startup business. We are looking like we are wealthy. We're in the top 1% and we are in debt up to our ears based on this business. And I now have an elderly mother that's living in Southern California that I'm taking care of. I'm that sandwich generation. I'm running a vacation rental business and I'm taking care of my kids who are now teens who have their own teen issues. Uh, and um, uh, he gets ousted by the CEO that he hired for that startup company. We're going from high six figures to zero. Yes, there's a package. And he basically, can I swear on your podcast? Yeah, go ahead. Please. He basically tells me to get my fat ass out of bed and get back to work and make six figures. Now I have a vacation rental business. Okay. But he doesn't acknowledge that that's a business. That's something I have to do when the kids are asleep and he doesn't need my, my help and things are awful. And he wants me to go back to the corporate world and he thinks I can be a VP of marketing in the corporate world. And I'm now so sick mentally. I know that I can't do it. And I applied for 21 jobs. And I remember telling him that and he's like, only 21. Like he started, he was in a yeller. That's a trigger for me, but the yelling has started. And uh, so my best friend said, don't you dare let that brokerage. By this time I had dismantled my vacation rental business by 2013. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I didn't sell it. I just gave every client away to someone else. Dumb business move. Dumb. If I'd been with Keller Williams, I could have monetized or leveraged and still have that and be incredibly profitable. Stupid. That's one of the dumbest business move I ever made, but I just couldn't do it. Uh, and so I, my friend said, don't I, my broker's license was about to expire. She said, don't you dare ever. You need to go and just give it a try. And I always said, I will never sell real estate. Every realtor I ever knew. How do you do it? I don't know how you do that. That's awful. I will never sell real estate. Well, now I'm backed into a wall and I interviewed at the KW in San Clemente because I, that's what I knew, even though I lived in San Diego and that became obvious. It wasn't right. I had a good friend that worked for KW in Carmel Valley and I walked into that office and there's a man, Jeremiah Taylor that I met with and I didn't want to be there. I was miserable. I didn't want to do it, but I did. And he brought me in and it gradually changed my life and everything. Every, every dynamic. Now you're in real estate. The, um, in a, I mean, you're in a better position, I guess, financially. Your relationship, it sounds like it's slowly getting worse. And you had that seven year plan. I mean, 
when did you get the empowerment to say enough is enough in your personal life? It's a really interesting coaching conversation. I don't know. Did you know Jim Reifus up there? No. Okay. So Jim had been brought in as our general manager and he'd been in real estate for 20 years. He'd come from Prudential, which is now Berkshire Hathaway. And I had, again, the good negotiator, I had convinced him to coach me for free. He was brought in to coach the cappers and I was a rookie. So it had to be uh, 2013 when this conversation took place. I was a rookie um, and I wasn't doing well with my mentor. And I went in and I said, Jim, I know you're here to coach the cappers. And I know I'm not a capper. I hadn't even sold, sold one piece of real estate. And I'm going to be one. And I want you to coach me. And oh, by the way, I can't pay you. And I couldn't pay him because my ex-husband would never have paid for coaching. So I needed to do this kind of on the down low to get successful on my own. And we're probably into coaching six months. And I've sold probably one or two properties by now. And uh, I, he asked me, he said, I don't understand. Why are you playing so small? I just don't get it. You have so much potential and you're not doing it. And I'm a crier. You know that. You know I'm a crier. And the tears start to flow. And I said, Jim, I'm afraid. <clears throat> I'm going to choke up a little. I'm afraid that if I'm successful in real estate, I'll leave my husband. And I don't want to leave. And that was, that was the thing I needed to say it out loud and it took off from there. And sure enough, once I proved to myself that I would not need his support, you know, the, the legal system would have forced him to pay spousal support for some period of time. Um, when, but I didn't want that when I had convinced myself I could make it, I left and that was mid 2015. So a year later, basically a year, year and a half later. Once I, I knew I could be financially independent and make it on my own. In those moments where you're kind of working towards in that year plan of starting your own life, because I mean, the years that you're with your, your significant other were growing years, right? And it sounds like you were a very powerful woman probably before you met him. And then over time, it kind of, you allowed him to, to take, take control of the situation. Um, what was going on? What was the support system? Was it was it that coach that was in your corner? Was it friends? I mean, I mean, were there moments where you said, I don't want to, to I, I can't leave them. I'm going to go back with it. I mean, what was going on through your mind? So I remember I mentioned the obesity. Yeah. Okay. So there was also a pivotal moment in July 2015. We had that property in Maine and I was there. I always spent anywhere from two weeks to a month there in the summers. And I was there and, oh, I felt horrible. I was so just couldn't, didn't just felt awful about myself. And we had a guy that was like our health mentor who was also an agent in KW at that office. That was part of the structure. So it's accountability at this point. So I'm still with that coach and that coach is really, I mean, the personal part is a big part of it, but my physical health, was a big part of it. It became apparent to me that my one thing needed to be getting my physical health in order so that I could then do better at my business because energy was a big issue. And you know what, in sales, it's especially in Southern California, being that heavy is a negative. No matter how good you are, people judge on first impressions. But 
So I emailed him while I was on vacation because I didn't want to chicken out and not do it when I got back. And I said, Chris, his name's Chris Groves. He's a lender. He's got a successful lending business now. And I, I said, Chris, I need your help when I get back. I made an appointment with him for when I got back to sit down and come up with a plan to get healthy. And uh, so I worked, started working with a trainer and started keto before keto was a word, but he had me on that and um, proceeded to lose about 40 pounds. Uh, and that helped. So I started to take back my power physically. I didn't ask for permission from my husband. His comment was, can we afford it? It was always his comment, no matter how much money we were making. We were always broke. He, so he has a, a scarcity mindset. Uh, and I now learned about abundance mindset. And I've been working to myself. And I said, can we afford not to? Or I think I said, I can't afford not to. So I started paying a tra trainer about $1,000 a month to work out with them three days a week and to help me with my eating plan. How, how often do you think on where you came from to where you are when you deal with failure or rejection in, in real estate? I don't. I, I've never. I, I, rejection, yes. But there's no failure in this entire story we've spent, what, over a half an hour on? There's yeah. no failure there. It's growth. And it's proof that that uh, you can reinvent yourself. You know, I'm of the Madonna generation um, and her reinvention tour is what I think of that. You don't have to know where you're going. You just have to know who you are. And I know that I'm a strong, successful person. And when I decide to do something that I can do it. And there's never any bit ever been like a failure is not an option. Do you, do you think your younger self that that 20 year old woman would have saw where you in that low moment was as a failure moment? Or do you think basically you always looked at there's never failure? Oh, I saw it as a failure moment and my own children saw it as a failure moment. I, one of my children, she'd be sad to hear me say this on this. I can remember her saying, you're pathetic. I don't want to be like you. Wow. Now, my wise, I've raised two amazing young women. My wise have to do with inspiring others and never being pathetic. Now, they don't view me as pathetic now. And they view me as a comeback kid and people like you or people, people that knew me in the beginning of the real estate career and now know me now they talk about, Oh, such a transformation. Oh, look at how, you know, how much you changed. And yet there's a man that I worked with in Chicago. He was my boss, my mentor then, and he has MS and he's still in, in Chicago. He got hit down really hard. He sent me a note, maybe, I don't know, 2019 and said, it's so good to see your back. He knew who I was. He never saw it as a failure. He knew who I always was. And he just was like, oh, she's back. That's the gal I hired at 20, whatever, you know, 30 years old. Well, before I ask the, the final question, thank you so much, Belinda, for, for being on the, the Roach Growth Podcast today. Um, for anyone listening, if they're looking to um, get real estate help in Southern California, what's the best way of them reaching out to you? Uh, it is on social media, usually to, to DM me or to text me at 858-848-7555. Uh, and in the show notes, you'll find Melinda's information. Um, so I just want to finish with the last question. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? 
Well, I've just joined on with a group that I never thought would happen again. I don't, I don't predict my future very well. Uh, I've joined on with a group with the Place Network in, and Ben Kinney teams, still part of KW. They're out of, these guys are out of Irvine and uh, Southern California. I'm their San Diego expansion partner. So I see me doing more great things and influencing more agents to really achieve their success and through more leverage. Again, thank you, Melinda, for, for being here. I mean, I think for everyone listening right now, it's again, and, and this is probably a common thing through most uh, of these episodes. It's it's really <clears throat> sometimes you can't see where you are today, but you know where you want to go. And I know Melinda didn't have like a full plan of where she wanted to go, but she had an idea. She had a and she needed other people, uh, at least from the story. Right to kind of bring that out of her and help her get there. So if you have that good support and, and there are people out there, I mean, there are people in your circle that you probably don't even know that want you to succeed and you have to be willing to allow them to talk to you, allow them to be there and, and just ask the question, hey, can you help me out? I wanna grow, I wanna be there. And you'll be surprised how many people wanna be in your corner. So just be open to change, be open to, to new opportunities because if you are, magical things will happen. Thank you, Melinda, for being here. Hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. Please subscribe, please share, and go in the show notes. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.